All right, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Glory to God. It had uh, come up in my heart about the necessity, the urgent necessity in all of our lives, all the time, but especially in the days we're living in, that we hear from God. Amen. I mean, we need to hear from God every day. I'm not talking about having some rare once every 10 years goose bump you got in the altar. You think God said something to you. I'm talking about walking with God, hearing from God, being led by God, not just even every day, but you could be led if you wanted to every minute, every moment of the day. You know, it's, it's sad still today, 2,000 years into the church age, that many Christians don't yet know and believe that they can and should hear from God. Amen. But you can. And you must. You must. How are you and I going to get to the end of our God-ordained race without a guide? Jesus you know, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12 says. And we are to run our race. Amen. Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course or I've run my race. He got to the end. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope, to give you a future, to bring you to an expected end. But believer, you're not going to end up there by accident. A lot of people have a very uh, religious idea about how the will of God works. And that is that you just live, and whatever happens, God's in control. And whatever your end looks like and whenever it happens, will be a reflection of God's will for you. Well, is that, just, just think about that for a minute. Think about how most Christian lives end. Are they glorious? Are they peaceful? Are they prosperous? Are they dignified? Or are they, you know, most people exit life in a way that we hope we don't. I don't want to go out of here in tubes. I don't want the jaws of life to cut my lifeless body out of some mangled vehicle. I don't want to be the victim of a crime. I want to get to the end of my life and lay my body down and leave. And like our ancestors did, go and be gathered with our fathers. Such a great need in the body of Christ to talk about what people never want to talk about, and that's dying. That's not my message today, but you know, just so you know, there's a lot worse things that could happen to you as a Christian than dying. A lot. (laughs) What happens if you die as a child of God? You're going to see Abraham. He's going to say, take my arm. Let's skip on into the glory town. Jesus is right over there. You want to go talk to it? Your mansion's this way. Jesus is this way. What do you want to see first? And the Bible says that Jesus has already tasted death for every man. Paul looked at death in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, Oh, death, where is your sting? So the bee of death is still buzzing around, but for the Christian, the sting of it is gone. Amen. I remember Brother Hagin years ago, he was the pastor of a small farming community, community church. And I believe it was uh, his Sunday school superintendent was a farmer and operated big heavy machinery and took a wrong step way up high and fell down into a moving combine. And they pulled his mangled body out and uh, pronounced him dead and took him to the hospital. And uh, Brother Hagen just started praying. His pa- it was Pastor Hagen for him. And he started praying prayers like this. Father, I just refuse to let him die. I need him. If I need him, you need him. And therefore, I'm just not going to let him die. I want him back. I've got to have him back. 
Well, I mean, on the other side in glory, he's the superintendent. He's in heaven. Yeah. He's looking around. Amen. He likes what he sees. <laughs> and one of the first words he hears is, you can't stay from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't stay. And he goes, what do you mean I can't stay? I belong here. Bless God. I know you're my savior. He goes, no, no, not that. Pastor Hagen won't let you come. Now that'll mess up a religious brain right there. Jesus says you can't stay because some pastor down on earth won't let you come. But we have authority most Christians don't know about. And it's vitally important that you have a pastor who knows how to pray. Now, if your pastor doesn't need you and doesn't want you, I don't know what kind of prayer he's going to pray. You know, that'd be bad. I didn't mean to say that. I, I promise that's not in my notes. Don't get offended. And he goes, well, I don't want to go back. He had a wife. You know, it's not going to matter how much you love your sweet spouse. When you see heaven, you're going to forget about them for a little while. Amen. Even them are not worth heaven in terms of leaving. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, he just wouldn't have it. He just didn't believe it. And so Jesus pulled back this curtain and he could see down into the hospital room chapel where Pastor Hagen was praying. He said, see, he said, and he could hear, hear Pastor Hagen. He said, you have to go back. And the next thing he knows, he's in his body looking up Pastor Hagen. Amen. And he's mad at Pastor Hagen. <laughs> Now, this is why I told you that story. There's a lot of lessons in there if you're listening, but this is why I told you that story. He told about his testimony. Can you imagine, from the earthly point of view, the thought about leaving that way? Right. Falling down into a moving combine? Yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant. Nope. Painful. Yeah. And they asked him about that. He said, oh, I I never felt a thing. The last thing I remember before I knew I was in heaven was the feeling of falling. See, in moments like that, we don't know because they've gone on. But if they're a believer, see, Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, has tasted the sting of death for all of His children. When you, if you'll have faith, death will be the easiest thing you ever do. There's Jesus. Goodbye. But even when a tragedy happens for the believer, according to that, and I could tell you many other testimonies just like that. Amen. He didn't feel a thing. His spirit was just taken out of his body before he felt the blade of the combine. Next thing he knows, he's looking up at Jesus. Amen. Amen. What got me started on all that was talking about how do we get to our end, having accomplished the will of God in our life, and then have a wonderful exit should the Lord tarry his coming if we don't know how to hear from God. Right. You want to know why a lot of Christians who believe in healing are not healed? They don't hear from God. Amen. You can quote on the healing promises, but if there's something, an open door of some some hindrance in the way that's blocking your ability to receive what belongs to you, the only way you can fix that is to hear from God. You know, it is possible... That we never make another mistake in life. That we don't marry the wrong person. That we don't join the wrong church. Take the wrong job. Move to the wrong city. Be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Get on the wrong aircraft. Turn the wrong turn. Be out on a block, city block where something bad's about. You know, lose any more money in our investments. Amen. God wants to lead you. Amen. He wants to. Do you want to be led? That's, that's the point. Do you want to be led? In Romans chapter 8 verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, the sons of God is a, is a title term that belongs to all Christians, male and female. Because sonship describes a place or an inheritance that we have in Christ, not gender. But if you flip this verse around, you'll, you'll understand even, even the meaning greater. If I am a son of God, what should I expect? I should expect to be led by the Spirit. Is that what this is? 
Amen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, the sons of God. If I'm a son, I have a right to be led. Now, David the psalmist was able to give us one of the greatest poetic psalms that was ever written. But it was, a, it was a, an, a, a, an anointed, Holy Spirit-inspired expression of praise and thanks of what God had done in David's life in Psalm 23. Right? Right. How does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack or want. He what? He makes me. He leads me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And even though I go through the valley, a few verses later, no, a lot of Christians, they build a house in the valley. That's not what you're supposed to do. Live in the valley. Get your mail in the valley. David said, though I pass through... The valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. Now why? Why? For two years on all on planet earth, just based on COVID and all that's going on, we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But we should fear no evil. Sickness is evil. Deuteronomy 7.15 says all sickness is evil. And I'll fear none of it. Why? Because I'm like David. For thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they do comfort me. Now a shepherd's rod, amen, is for the prodding and the guiding of a flock of sheep. There he goes. No, get back over here. And, And we say we want to live life beside still waters and green pastures and not to have any lack. But you have to be led into that. If we're not having green pasture life, if we're not having still water life, if we're not passing through the valleys without any fear, we're not paying attention to where the shepherd is closely enough. And nobody's here to judge you, but you should be willing to judge yourself. Of the last 25 decisions you've made, I mean that have any real consequence, I'm not talking about what kind of shirt you put on. I mean, you stand in front of their closet praying in tongues, trying to hear from God about what color tie to put on. Oh, my God. And those are the very same ones they marry wrong and their lives are all a mess, you know, whatever. Goofy. But I'm talking about how many of the last real decisions that you've made did you make? Or were you led in those? Amen. Now again, a lot of Christians have a good excuse because they've not even been taught that they can be and should be, much less how to be, led by God and hear from God. We're going to teach you how to hear from God. Are you safe to go outside and go to work? God knows. Are you safe to put your money in that? God knows. Is that person safe to be in your children's lives? God knows. And what God knows... You can, you can know. I heard Reverend Jesse DePlanis the other night say this. He said he was talking to Jesus, just having conversation. And he says, you know, I, I know Jesus, you don't know when you're coming back. He goes, yeah, that's right, son. I don't know when I'm coming back. And Jesus said, do you want to know why? I don't know. Right. He goes, yeah, I'd like to know. Why? How come you don't know? How come the Father kept this secret from me? He said, because if I knew, I'd tell you. Amen. That's right. He said, I don't keep secret. You're my brethren. You're my body. I died for you. I, he knows if I told you. If, if I knew, I'd tell you. So in that sense, see, Jesus is not, he's a blabmouth. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. And yet we have this religious idea that you can't know. Well, you just never know. God works in mysterious ways. That's a lie. God works in predictable ways. God works in covenant ways. God works in scriptural ways. No, yeah, He's big. You're not going to comprehend everything He does. Yeah, His ways are sometimes past finding out. But the things that have been given to us belong to us. Go back to 2 Corinthians. I believe it's chapter 4. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me find, get confirmation on that. <clears throat> nope, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Y'all all right? Amen. Why don't you make this confession say, I'm born again. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. The Spirit of God lives in me. He leads me. Come on, He leads me. Amen. Jesus leads us through the person of the Holy Ghost and through His Word. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. We have this wonderful statement. Uh, if I could find the reference. <clears throat> It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior, the savor, the smell of His knowledge by us in every place. Now the New King James says, Now thanks be unto God, who always leads us. The way He causes us to triumph is He leads us. How many of you want to triumph? Come on, you want to triumph in spiritual things? You want to triumph in your calling? You want to triumph over the devil? You want to triumph in life? You want to triumph in relationships? You want to triumph in finances? It's for you. Been bought and paid for. But He's got to lead you into it. The experience of it. And there's going to be things... You know, for instance, every one of us, God has laid out a prosperity path. So that you could have abundant provision. That every need could be abundantly supplied in your life. But the thing God leads me to do that's going to bring prosperity will no doubt not be the exact same thing He leads you to do. We're different. The goal is the same. He wants you to triumph in your finances. But triumph is connected to lead me. Do you see that? Getting through the valley of the shadow of death is connected to He leads me. Avoiding the pitfalls and traps and schemes of the devil is tied to He leads me. Are you with me? Amen. Are you interested in learning to hear the voice of God and to be led by God? Isn't that interesting? The heat comes on, everybody puts their jacket on. (laughs) Amen. Y'all will be all right. I've been sweating. You guys can cover up. Amen. You'll feel better in a second. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians. And uh, either take some notes, jot some scriptures down, or if you can, keep up, turn with us. And uh, let's get some, some groundwork laid before we run out of time today. Amen. And uh, let's, let's get into this a little bit. One of the foremost foundational things that we all must have settled in our life to be led by God is to understand the makeup of a human being. How God made us. You know, the Bible says that we are made in the likeness and in the image of God. Amen. We're mirrored after God. We're patterned after God. Amen. We're created in the God class. Now, we're not God, but we're created in the God class of being in this respect. God is a spirit. In John chapter 4, in his discussion with the woman at the well, we're not going there, but in John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman, God is a spirit. So God is not flesh. God does not have lungs. God does not inhale and exhale. He is a spirit being. And so are you. If God is a spirit, and we're created in the likeness and image of God, then we must must know, we must realize, we must settle this fact. I'm a spirit. I don't have a spirit. I am a spirit. I don't have a spirit, I am one. I am a spirit being. And that makes me immortal in one sense. The outward man, I'll show you this in a moment. The outward man decays and perishes. 
It was made of earth and clay. It was made of dust and water. And should the Lord tarry His coming to dust and water, it will return. Amen. But the real me is not this. That's not the real me. It is just merely the house of my spirit. Man is made up of both material and immaterial aspects or qualities. You are both an immaterial and material being. The immaterial parts of you, your spirit and your soul, amen, are eternal. Therefore, I use the word immortal. In other words, uh, I, could, I could unload a clip of 50 cal in you and your body will die quick. Probably first one. Amen. But you cannot blast away a spirit. You are an immortal, eternal, living creature that cannot and will not ever cease to exist. Ever. Ever. You're a spirit like God's a spirit. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. Familiar verse to quite a few of us. But it's a wonderful verse we go to a lot because it describes the whole makeup of man in one verse. It says in verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify or set you apart holy. That means W-H-O-L-L-Y means all of you, right? You get that? Holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in terms of what people are most dominated by and conscious of, they would think it like this, body, soul, spirit. But Paul, anointed by the Holy Ghost, he started with your truest self, your innermost self, and worked upward to the superficial parts of yourself. He said spirit, soul, and body. I picked up a very large... uh, the, uh, theology book from very respected authors yesterday and looked at it. And uh, they, they made the mistake that many, many learned scholars have made. And I'm not putting myself smaller than them, smarter than them. I'm not. I've just seen this light. And that is that they call the spirit and soul the same. Spirit, soul, soul, spirit, same entity, same thing. No, kind of. In one sense, you know, obviously we get this, we as Christians who believe in heaven and the afterlife, eternity. Paul said to be absent from the body for a Christian is to be present with the Lord. Mm -hmm. We believe that, don't you? You believe that? Mm -hmm. Well, your body's not present with the Lord. We buried it. I saw it. (laughs) We'd go back, dig it up, and if you were embalmed, it'd look just like it we buried my mother, the, the mortician said, you were to dig this grave up a hundred years from now, she'll look exactly like this. That's creepy, isn't it? But I mean, yeah. But that's just what her body. The immaterial part, so you could, what, my, what I'm saying is, we can, you can separate spirit, soul from the body. You cannot separate spirit and soul. That's how closely interjoined they are. The best you can do is draw a line of demarcation, a line of distinction. You can learn, this is where my spirit ends and my soul begins, but you can't separate them. For instance, if you look up the Hebrew and the Greek word for soul, and then the Greek and Hebrew words for spirit, they have similar meanings. They both mean breath. They both mean life. They both mean wind. They both mean blast. Now there are some differences though. Many theologians will say the best we can do is is to say that the spirit of man is that which came from and is most like God, the highest self. Mm -hmm. Whereas the soul is the seat of human self. The seat of uh, personality. Which is pretty good description. But the Bible says there's only one thing 
There is only one thing that can draw a line of distinction that you can actually tell what's my spirit and what's my soul. Y'all know what it is? The Word of God. Write down Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is quick. It's alive. It's sharp. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. In the Greek, it shouldn't be sword. It would be better translated scalpel. A precision instrument for cutting. Not a blunt sword. Amen. Dividing asunder, right? The Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharp and alive, like a two-edged scalpel that is able to divide asunder. You ought to, if you are uh, got time one day, do a deep dive word study on divide asunder. It's just one Greek word, and it doesn't mean to separate, because you can't. It means to draw a line of distinction. Where does fresh water in the river become salt water when it dumps into the ocean? Water's water. Water the ocean. And the fresh water of the river is all water. And they're in contact and they're swirling around with one another. But if you look, you can see a line of distinction where the river ends and where the salt water begins. But you can't separate them. That's what can be done with your soul and your spirit. Now, your soul is your mind, your will. That's what you use to make decisions, good and bad. And your feelings, your emotions. Then you have your body. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. Amen. And you live in a body of earth and clay. Spirit, soul, and body. Uh, maybe instead of turning there because of the time, uh, you might write down the reference 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And you, you, you begin to look at these scriptures with this in view and you begin to see some things. Paul said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, everyone say outward man. Outward man. You have an outward man. The outward man is your visible man. Just referring to your flesh, referring to your body, the outward man. For the outward man is what? Perishing. One translation says decaying. Right. Amen. And I mean, we can do some things to stop it, especially walking in love, talking right, doing the will of God, a little Botox, some exercise. <laughs> and we, we can do maintenance on this thing and, right. and keep it up. But it's aging. It's decaying. Yet the what? Notice this, the inward man. The inward man is not decaying. Aren't you glad? It's not perishing. It's not even getting older. That's why as we look in the mirror year after year, we go, what happened to you? What is going on with you? Because the real us on the inside... Feels the same, is the same. What does this say? Renewed day by day. We're eternal, we're never getting old. We're like God, we're a spirit. We're quickened by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has come to indwell our spirit. And amen, we're going to be, we're alive forevermore. And yet we do everything we can to stretch and pull and make, make our outside match how we feel on the inside. That inward, there is an outward man and there is an inward man. Amen. Can you hang with me a couple more minutes? Yeah. Write down 1 Peter 3, 4. 1 Peter 3, 4. Peter says this. Do not let your adornment be merely the outward arranging of your hair. We do believe in arranging your hair, thank God. Amen. Wearing gold or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the... Now notice what Paul, uh, Peter says. The hidden person of the heart. Paul called it the inward man. Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. Are you with me? It's just another way to call it or to reference the human spirit. Amen. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now the word heart can reference a lot of things in the Bible. Most of the time it's just generally referring to your innermost being. But here we know it's referring to your spirit. 
Because Paul, Peter said it's the hidden man of the heart, a gentle and quiet spirit that in the eyes of God is of a great price. Again, I, just, I can give you waves and waves and waves of scriptures, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, you can write that reference down. It says, furthermore, we have had human fathers that corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits? Not the Father of bodies. Not the Father of souls. The Father of spirits. Down in the 22nd and 23rd verse of Hebrews 12. It says, but you have come... To Mount Zion, referring to heaven, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You get to heaven, you're going to see the spirits of just human beings that God has justified through the saving work of Jesus Christ. So what are you? You are a spirit, friend. You have a soul that's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have a body of earth and clay. Now quickly, trying to write it down, but I want to tie off a bow so it's neat, right? If we can. Amen. Praise God. Every part of your being, Sarah, has a voice. We all know this. We, we We hear their voices every day. And when everything comes up, when anything of any significance comes up, each part of your being, Cynthia, wants to vote. It wants to chime in and let you know what that part of yourself would like to do. Now, I'm talking to you. I'm not left myself. We're talking about hearing from God. Amen. But you're gonna, if you're going to hear from God, you have to know this. God's a spirit. I'm a spirit. Where does it make most sense for Him to contact me? In my spirit. Through my spirit. And that's how the Bible says He's going to lead me. Where is the Holy Ghost? He's in you. But how many of us, when things get raw and rough, we need help, we need answers, do we look out here? Mama! Daddy! Doctor! Lawyer! Banker, pastor, what do I do? You have to train yourself. Your highest help, your best help is in here. You have to train, you're not going to, you didn't, you didn't grow up this way, did you? We grow up training our bodies, developing our bodies, and then we grew up working on our minds and filling it with most of it, junk, information and knowledge. Amen. And we've trained and developed our bodies and our minds to the expense of our weak, starved, underdeveloped spirits. Your Bible gets dust on it during the week and come to church about once every month. Your spirit is puny. I said, your spirit is puny. But you can fix it. You can feed it. Nourish it. Develop it. So what is the voice of the body? Brother David, give me an example. What's the, what is your body? How does your body speak to you? I need some sugar. I need some sugar. <laughs> How else does your body talk? Did it talk to you this morning when the alarm went off? What did it say? Hit that snooze. Unplug that thing. Hit it with a baseball bat. Hunger. Desires. Appetites. That's the voice. It doesn't talk in English necessarily, but it tells you, eat that thing, do that, sleep with her. And because it's got sin in it, I wouldn't look to God for a godly voice to come out of this thing. The best you can get this thing to do is serve you. The real you. But most people let it rule them and dominate them. So the voice of our body, that's that's pretty quick to identify. Now, what about our soul, our mind, our reasoning, the realm of thought, the intellectual world, our emotions? You get that. It has a voice. 
What does that sound like? What does that look like? What's that? Bible's just a book. Feelings. What kind of emotions do you have? You always feel like walking in love? No. That, what, what is that then? What voice is that? That's the voice of your soul saying, act up. Give them peace of your mind. Tell them how you feel. Right? Or how much of it, you know when you're trying to figure something out. And the machinery is going, right? Crank it a little higher. And you're thinking, how can I get this done? What can I do? And what would be the best thing? And how do I figure this out? Maybe I need just a little medical research. If I talk to one other person, what if I did this? And what if I do that? And here's the pros and here's the cons. What is all that? It is the voice of reason. It is the voice of thought. And then when your feelings, your emotions like anger or joy or lust or ecstasy or happiness or sadness or grief or sorrow, all of these emotions, they're talking to us all the time. And so many people, this is where we make our decisions. My body said don't go church. My emotions said don't go church. So we ain't going church. See, who won the vote? Not your spirit. Where's God? And He's perfect. The Holy Ghost is in your spirit. That's what makes you like God. And guess what? The Holy Ghost in your spirit is going to want a vote to do. Get your family to church, boy. You need to hold on to that piece of your mind. You gave too many pieces of your mind away already. You need to keep every piece of mind you have. Put that feeling back in your pocket and do what the Bible says. Walk in love. Amen. Amen. So we we know the voice of reason, don't we? You know when you're thinking. You know when you're thinking, trying to get the answer, what is the right thing to do? And we all ought to be able to recognize when our emotions are working on us. But I love them, Daddy. I love them, Daddy. I love them, Daddy. What's the Holy Ghost saying, sweetie? What is the Holy Ghost saying, sweetie? It has to be God because I love them so much. That's your emotion talking. That's not being led by the Spirit. So to be led by the Spirit, you have to set aside, identify and set aside. That's my body. Okay, I know what you want to do. Okay, this is, this is my thoughts. And opinions and reason and what I know and what I feel is right. But that's not being led by the Spirit. Well, you only have one part left. See, you can learn to identify and locate your own spirit, your spirit, through the process of elimination. Identify what your, what your body's voting to do. Identify what your body is uh, your feelings and emotions are telling you. And then recognize, even if they happen to be in line with God, that's not where I want to be led. So it makes sense. My body has a voice. My soul has a voice. My spirit must have a voice. Let's close. We'll have to just close here. Let's go to Proverbs 20. And we'll, we'll look at this scripture and... Offer a thought. Are you getting anything? It is so vitally important. And and so many, you know, bless their hearts, we've done the best we can in so many instances. But we've not been taught that we're a spirit. We've not been taught how to identify the movement and the voice and the location of who we are, the real us on the inside. We haven't been taught to trust that, look to that, and to let that trump every other leading, even when the book and natural wisdom... (laughs) says, here's what you ought to do. Natural wisdom says, sell your house, Chris, before you buy another house. But the voice of my spirit said, buy both house, have both houses. See, I didn't make natural good business sense. And under normal conditions, that's what I would do. I'd do what natural good business sense would say until and unless... The Holy Ghost leads me different. See, the leading of the Spirit trumps everything in my life. 
It didn't make sense to sign a bond note for one point whatever million dollars with 67 people. And I prayed long and hard about that one. Because my voice and my, my feelings and my mind had thoughts and opinions. Because it wasn't God's name they wanted on the paper. It was my name they wanted on the paper. With my social security number and my house and my address and my DNA and my blood and everything else. You know, I have to have a life insurance policy on, on me today that I get no benefit of. It's just if I croak, kick the buck and go to heaven, the bank gets it to pay off, help pay off the church note, which is fine. So my, my emotions were screaming, don't do it, dummy, don't do it. I would even quote Brother Hagin to try to get the Lord to let me out of it. I said, Lord, Brother Hagin said, pastor's building buildings too big, getting into trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. This looks too big. Brother Hagin said... He, he goes, I don't care what Brother Hagin said. But where is this argument going on? There's the argument between here and here. Did y'all get that? Here. Y'all ever had that argument? Between here and here. Your head says you're in a hurry. You got to go. Leave the chopping cart out there. It's okay. Everybody else does it. But in here, in here, there's something scratching you. Going, you lazy thing, put the shopping cart where it goes. And pick up that trash you didn't put down either and put it away. That's how the Lord deals with me. The argument between here and here. Jesus said, out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. What is the voice of your spirit? Your conscience. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. That's Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. How easy is it then? If you'll be in the Word and maintain a right and sincere heart before God, be in the Word, fellowship with God, your conscience becomes a safe guide. Now, not before God moves in. Before God moved in, I could go to Thursday night club, Stop at the 7-Eleven, cash in a quarter for 25 copper pennies because it was penny beer long neck night and sit on there and dance with girls and cuss and shoot at my friends and just have a good time and boot scoop boogie and get drunk as a skunk and I mean plastered and drive home and endanger myself and my friends and everybody else on the highway and get up in the morning having upchucked it all and not be bothered on the inside. Not a, not a bit. Why? Because I don't have God in me. I'm a spirit, but I'm lost. And then something different happens after you get saved. I still tried to go back and do penny beer after I got saved. And now all of a sudden, I've got this internal war going on. What are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to be. This ain't fun no more. You feel icky on the inside. Now my conscience didn't have a problem with it before. But now God moved in. And He's in me now. And He's bearing witness with my spirit about this isn't the right thing to be doing. A lot of Christians, they get this rude awakening when they get saved. They get saved and they say, there's something wrong with me. I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got someone else living in you now, dude. And it's not supposed to be easy to sin and cuss and do the wrong thing, drink beer and all that, chase girl. Let me say this to you. You can sear your conscience even as a Christian. You can so override that inward voice endeavoring to get you to do right. And you can say, no, 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 no. And you can just totally grieve the Holy Ghost. And He will not leave you, but He will go dormant and quiet inside you. And then that, that inner war will cease. And you think for a while in your carnality, you're, you've found a good place. Because you don't feel conflicted anymore on the inside. But you're in a very dangerous way. Amen. Because now you don't even feel sorry. Yeah. You used to miss one service and it bothered you. But now you miss a month and a half and it barely scratches you. God used to deal with you about coming to prayer. But you hadn't had that leading in a long, long time. It's not that God changed His mind. 
is that He heard you say to Him, you don't want to hear it. But what happens when you need to hear from Him about sending your baby out the door? When you need to hear Him about that airplane, but you've chosen to silence Him. And then some tragedy happens and some preacher gets up at your funeral and says, God took you and turned you into an angel. That's just dumb. That's just scripturally dumb. We need to hear from God. We want to hear from God. But to hear from God on a regular basis, you don't get to choose your leading. You just got to believe that He is right. When your emotions and mind don't want to go that way. You have to humble yourself. He's right, I'm wrong. Well, I don't see it. I, don't, I just don't see that whole thing about tongues. But in here you're going, yeah, 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 you need that really bad. I don't want to go up front and have him lay hands on me and me talking tongues in front of the people. But inside you, the Holy Ghost is going, oh, please, yes, do it today. Do it today. Yes, 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 yes. You've got to have me. You've got to have more of me. You've got to have bread and tongue. Yeah. <laughs> who, are you going to, who are you going to yield to? Say, Pastor, are you going to close? I'm trying. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs verse 20. Verse 27 says this. The spirit of man. The what? The Did it say the body of man? No. The spirit of man is what? I heard New King James says the lamp. King James says the candle. Well, that makes sense. King James is older. That's all they had was candles back then. So the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, the lamp of the Lord. You could say it like this, the flashlight. The spirit of man is the flashlight of the Lord, searching everywhere out here to try to figure out what's going on, what we ought to do. God calls three, if this is really you, you really want me to go back to that silly church, calls three red Volkswagens to go right by my every other car in the next ten minutes. That's called putting out a fleece, which is Old Testament. You're not supposed to do that anymore. You have God on the inside. They didn't have God. He honored that kind of foolishness back then because He didn't live in them like He lives in you, sweetie. This is also why you don't go to the prophet and ask them what you think they ought, you ought to do. But back up, but a lie, but, but Old Testament. The difference is you have God living on the inside of you. You're the prophet of your own life. You don't seek guidance from tarot cards, horoscopes, Auntie May, Grandma. There's wisdom and there's good counsel, but that's not where I ultimately make my decision. I don't have red boats, wagons going by. I don't put out fleeces. I look in here. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of man is the flashlight. The light of what you ought to do. The spirit of God is going to enlighten your spirit. And you won't be able to explain it. For anything. But you'll go. I know that I know. Yeah. I just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. This is what God wants. Did you hear a voice? No. Mm-hmm. Did you have a drink? No. Now God can move in these things. But you're not promised that. Right. I said you're not promised that. Yeah. But you had this inward. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start a daycare. Seems good. Fits. Seems right. Yep. Amen. Moving to Paducah. Gabriel the angel didn't show up in my closet while I was putting my tie on and say, Move to Paducah. It's the will of God. But down in here. When down in here. David said in Psalm 16 verse 7, The Lord will brighten my candle. The Lord will enlighten my darkness. Psalm 16, 7. What a wonderful verse. 
Put that together with Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. David said, the Lord will light my candle. What's that mean? He's saying, the Lord's going to light up my spirit and I'll know what to do. Where there's darkness, where there's I don't know, where it's confused, the Lord will enlighten, He'll, He'll lighten my candle. He'll illuminate me on the inside. Amen? Amen. I think it was that second song we sang today about healing is here. And it talks about looking where our help comes from. Is that that second song? We changed the words from the original. Yeah, we do that sometimes around here. When there's really good songs sprinkled in with a little doubt and unbelief. The original says, I look unto the... I lift my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. It's quoting an Old Testament psalm. Is that what you do when you need help, Caden? You look to the hills? That's not what I do anymore. We change the words. I look, how'd you phrase it? Within. Where my help comes from. Because we want that, we like that song. But we want you to look into your, for your help in a New Testament, as a New Testament Christian in the right place. Don't look to no hill. There ain't help coming from no hill. Amen? My help comes from the helper. And the helper's in me. Amen? Guys, look to Him. That'll be another thought. Who gets led? Those who look. Those who listen. Those are the ones that get led. Amen? Stand up on your feet today if you would. Hallelujah. Praise God. God said to me in tongues and interpretation, this is the year of the open door. Hallelujah. Amen. Now the doors, they don't just float around. That door's been there since the day we put it in. So you have to get to the door. Amen. He'll lead you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll speak to you. David said, I lie across my bed. My, my kidneys instruct me in the night seasons. He said my reins, but you look it up and it means kidneys. Now, do your kidneys lead you? Is that what he meant? What did he mean? My insides. My insides instruct me in the night season. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, we close our eyes. We look within. You made us a spirit. We are a spirit. You gave us the capacity to think, to reason, to have emotion.